Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2013. Titled The Sanctuary, it is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 5 for October 26 to November 1, Atonement, Purification Offering. Sabbath, October 26. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to open your word again. It's a new lesson, but it's a continuation of your unfolding through your scripture and through the sanctuary service, what it means to be God, what it means to be human, and how we interact. Bless us now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text for this week is 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let's read that again. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The sacrificial system is probably the best-known part of the sanctuary service because it's the part that points directly to Christ's sacrifice. The blood of the animal that died for the sinner becomes a symbol for the blood of Christ who died for us. This week, we will study several concepts linked to the purification offering, also called sin offering, which was God's appointed way of helping us to understand better how he is reconciling us to himself through the only true sacrifice, Jesus Christ. At times, this lesson uses the term purification offering instead of sin offering to avoid the impression that an act that required an offering such as giving birth be regarded as a moral fault. Such a sacrifice is best understood as a purification offering for a woman's ritual impurity and not as a sacrifice because of sin. Sunday, October 27, Sin and Mercy As anyone who knows the Lord can testify, sin separates us from God. The good news is that the Lord has put in place a system to heal the breach caused by sin and to bring us back to Him. At the centre of this system is, of course, the sacrifice. There are basically three kinds of sin depicted in the Old Testament, each corresponding to the sinner's level of awareness while he or she committed the transgression. Inadvertent or unintentional sin, deliberate or intentional sin, and rebellious sin. The purification offering described in Leviticus 4, chapter 1, verses 5 to 13, applied to cases of unintentional sin as well as some cases of deliberate sin. While an offering was available for those two categories, none is mentioned for rebellious sin, the most heinous kind. 
Rebellious sin was done in the face of God with a high hand, and the rebel deserved nothing less than to be cut off, as we see in Numbers chapter 15, verses 29 to 31. But before that, we need to have a look at Leviticus chapter 4, right through to chapter 5, verse 13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the appointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let them offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hands on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull, as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on the wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done, and are guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin, and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar. He shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering.
The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then... The priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar, according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Chapter 5. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or, if a person touches any unclean thing, which it is the carcass of an unknown beast, unclean beast, or the carcass of unclean livestock, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or, if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realises it, then he shall be guilty." Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realises it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be, when he is guilty of any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb, or a kid of the goats, as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord, for his trespass which he has committed, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely." Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering, and he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. But if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, 
Then he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion, and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. And Numbers chapter 15 verses 29 to 31 You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off, his guilt shall be upon him. However, it seems that even in these cases, such as with Manasseh, God offered forgiveness, as we read in Second Chronicles 33, verses 12 and 13. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Question. Read Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 1 and 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 14 verses 1 to 11. What does 2 Samuel 14 verse 9 reveal about mercy, justice and guilt? Well, first of all, 2 Samuel 14 verses 1 to 11. So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent her to Koah and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow, my husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my member that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Is God justified in forgiving the sinner? After all, is not the sinner unrighteous and therefore worthy of being condemned? 
The story of the woman of Tekoa can illustrate the answer. Pretending to be a widow, as instructed by Joab, this woman went to King David, seeking his judgment. Joab contrived a story that he asked her to tell David about her two sons, one having killed the other. Israelite law demanded the death of the murderer, even though he was the only male left in the family. The woman pleaded with David, who functioned as a judge, to let the guilty son go free. Then, interestingly enough, she declared, Let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. Both the woman and David understood that if the king would decide to let the murderer go free, then the king himself would acquire the guilt of the murderer, and that his throne of justice, that is, his reputation as judge, would be in jeopardy. The judge was morally responsible for what he decided. That is why the woman offered to take over this guilt herself. Similarly, God takes over the guilt of sinners in order to declare them righteous. For us to be forgiven, God himself must bear our punishment. This is the legal reason why Christ had to die, if we were to be saved. Monday, October 28, Laying on of Hands Question. Read Leviticus chapter 4, verses 27 to 31. What ritual activities were performed along with the sacrifice? If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with its finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. The goal of the offering was to remove sin and guilt from the sinner, to transfer responsibility to the sanctuary, and to let the sinner leave forgiven and cleansed. In extremely rare cases, one could bring a certain amount of fine flour as a purification offering. Although this purification offering was bloodless, it was understood that, as it says in Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The ritual itself included the laying on of hands, the death of the animal, blood manipulation, the burning of fat, and the eating of the animal's flesh. The sinner who brought the offering was granted forgiveness, but only after the blood ritual. A crucial part of this process involved the laying on of hands. This was done so that the offering, as it says in Leviticus 1.4, may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. The offering applied only for the one who put his hands on the animal's head. According to Leviticus 16.21, the laying on of hands would be accompanied by a confession of sin. This would acknowledge the transfer of sin from the sinner to the innocent animal. The slaughter was, of course, basic to any animal offering. 
After the animal was killed, the spilled blood was used to make atonement on the altar, as it says in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Because the sins had been transferred to the animal by the laying on of hands, we should understand the death of the animal as a substitutionary death. The animal died in the place of the sinner. This may explain why the act of killing the animal had to be performed by the sinner or the guilty one, and not by the priest. So to finish the day, next time you attempted to sin, envision Jesus dying on the cross and see yourself putting your hands on his head and confessing your sins over him. How might this concept, played out in your mind, help you to understand just what it cost in order to be forgiven? How could this idea help you to resist succumbing to this temptation? Tuesday, October 29, Transfer of Sin Jeremiah 17.1 reads, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the tablet of their heart, and upon the horns of your altars. After the laying on of hands, and the death of the animal, the next ritual activity in the offering was the handling of the blood. The priest applied the sacrificial blood to the horns of the altar, because blood was involved, this ritual part had to do with atonement. Leviticus 17.11 again, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. If the sinner was a commoner or a leader, the blood was applied on the altar of burnt offering. In Leviticus 4, verses 25 and 30. We've read that before. If the high priest or the entire congregation was the sinner, the blood was applied to the inner altar, the altar of incense, as in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7, And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And verse 18 in the same chapter. And that reads, And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. What did it mean to smear blood on the horns of the altar? The horns were the highest points of the altar, and as such could signify the vertical dimensions of salvation. In this way, the blood was brought into the presence of God. Jeremiah 17 verse 1, which we read today, is of particular importance for understanding what happens. The sin of Judah is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. Although the text is referring to altars involved in idolatrous worship, the principle remains the same. 
The altar reflected the moral condition of the people. Blood transferred the guilt of sin. The blood smeared on the horns of the altar transferred sin away from the sinner to the sanctuary, a crucially important truth in order for us to understand the plan of salvation as revealed in the earthly sanctuary service, which symbolizes the work of Christ in heaven for us. Because the blood carried sin, it also defiled the sanctuary. We find an example of this defiling in cases where the blood of the purification offering splashed accidentally on a garment. The garment needed to be cleansed, not just anywhere, but only in the holy place, as is recorded in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 27. Finally, the burning of the fat on the altar indicated that everything related to the purification offering belong to God. Leviticus 3.16 And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. Thanks to the death of Jesus, symbolized by these sacrifices, our sin has been taken away from us, placed on him, and transferred to the heavenly sanctuary. This is central to the plan of salvation. So to finish today, how does the sanctuary service help us to understand our utter dependence on God for forgiveness of our sins? What comfort does this truth bring to you? At the same time, what important responsibilities follow? See 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart. Wednesday, October 30, Bearing Sin. Question. Read Leviticus chapter 6, 25 and 26, and chapter 10, verses 16 to 18. What crucial truth is revealed here? Well, first of all, Leviticus six twenty-five and 26. Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy." The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. And chapter 10, verses 16 to 18. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was, burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place, as I commanded. By eating the offering at a holy place, the officiating priest would bear away the guilt of the offender. The meat of this offering was not just payment for the priest's services. Otherwise, Moses would not have been so angry with Aaron's son for not eating it. But a crucial part of the atonement. How does the eating of the sacrifice contribute to the process of atonement? 
Eating was required only of those offerings in which blood did not enter the holy place, that is, the offerings of the leader and the commoner. The Bible explicitly said that by eating the sacrifice, the priest would bear away the guilt, which would make atonement for the sinner. To carry the sinner's guilt implies that the sinner now goes free. In the Hebrew, Exodus 34 verse 7 says that God carries iniquity. The same two words used in Leviticus 10.17, where it's clear that the act of the priests carrying the sin is what brings forgiveness to the sinner. Otherwise, without that transfer, the sinner would have to bear his own sin. And that, of course, would lead to death, as we read in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The priest's work of bearing another's sin is exactly what Christ did for us. He died in our place. We conclude then that the priestly work of the earthly sanctuary typifies Christ's work for us because he has taken upon himself the guilt of our sins. In Manuscript Elisa's Volume 9, page 302, Ellen White writes, The blessing comes because of pardon. Pardon comes through faith that the sin, confessed and repented of, is borne by the great sin-bearer. Thus, from Christ comes all our blessings. His death is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the great medium through whom we receive the mercy and favour of God. He, then, is indeed the originator, the author, as well as the finisher of our faith. So to finish the day, imagine standing before God in judgment. What would you lean on? Your good works? Your Sabbath-keeping? All the nice things you've done? And all the bad things you haven't done? Do you really think this would be enough to justify you before a holy, perfect God? If not, what's your only hope in that judgment? Thursday, October 31, Forgiveness Question Read Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. What picture of God do we find in this passage? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. The last three verses of the book of Micah focus on the relationship of God with his remnant. The text beautifully describes why God is unrivaled. He is incomparable because of his forgiving love and grace. The outstanding characteristic of God as revealed in Micah and elsewhere is his willingness to forgive. Micah emphasizes this point by using various expressions for God's attributes in verse 18 and achievements in verses 19 and 20. 
His attributes and achievements are explained in the language of the Israelite credo in Exodus chapter 30, verses 6 and 7, one of the most beloved biblical descriptions of the character of God. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Interestingly, several crucial words in Micah 7 verses 18 to 20 are also used in the servant song in Isaiah 53, pointing to the fact that the means of forgiveness comes from the one who is suffering for the people. Unfortunately, not everyone will enjoy God's saving grace. God's forgiveness is neither cheap nor automatic. It involves loyalty. Those who have experienced His grace respond in kind, such as we see in Micah 6.8, a central text in the book, just as God delights in unchanging love. He calls His remnant to love kindness. His people will imitate God's character. Their lives will reflect His love, compassion and kindness. In the Bible, Micah 7 verses 18 to 20, with its emphasis on forgiveness, is immediately followed by Nahum chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, with its emphasis on judgment. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. This unfolds the two dimensions of God's dealings with us. He forgives the repentant and punishes the wicked. Both sides belong to God. He is Saviour and Judge. These two aspects of God's character are complementary, not contrary. A compassionate God can also be a just God. Knowing this, we can rest assured in His love, in His forgiveness and His ultimate justice. So to finish today, Read Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What good is a profession of faith without these principles to reveal the reality of that profession? What's easier, to claim faith in Jesus, or to live out that faith as expressed in Micah 6, 8? How can you better do the latter? Friday, November 1. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 357, As Christ at his ascension appeared in the presence of God to plead his blood in behalf of penitent believers, so the priest in the daily ministration sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice in the holy place in the sinner's behalf. The blood of Christ, while it was to release the repentant sinner from the condemnation of the law, was not to cancel the sin. 
It would stand on record in the sanctuary until the final atonement. So, in the type, the blood of the sin offering removed the sin from the penitent, but it rested in the sanctuary until the Day of Atonement. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Some have argued that the whole concept of substitution is unfair. Why should the innocent die in the place of the guilty? However, because this is a truth that is not only clearly taught in the Bible, but is central to the core theme of the Bible, how do we answer that charge? Might the unfairness of it all help us to understand the grace that was displayed in order to bring us forgiveness? That is, in what ways might this unfairness help to show just how great and merciful and loving our God really is? 2. As a class, read Micah chapter 6 verse 8. What are we being told here? More important, how can we learn to fulfill this explicit command? How do we learn to do all these things, including to walk humbly with thy God? What does that mean? How can walking humbly with God translate into walking humbly with others? 3. Think about what it means that the only way we could be saved was through the death of Jesus. What does this amazing truth teach us about just how bad sin is, and why any effort to save ourselves by our own works is as fruitless as scrubbing a pig in hopes of making it kosher. And four, in class, go over the final question at the end of Wednesday's lesson. Discuss your answers and the implications of your answers in terms of the gospel and that which God has done for us in order to save us. Inside Story Our mission story this week comes from India and it's titled The Sword and the Spirit Joseph's heart pounded as the mob raged towards him Beat him, someone yelled Kill him, another echoed Joseph hadn't been a Christian long In his zeal to share his new faith with others he had come to this village as a global mission pioneer to teach others about Christ Some listened, but Others were angry that a Christian had come to stir up their village. They found Joseph and demanded vengeance. Joseph prayed as the mob surrounded him. Then he spoke to the leader who brandished a sword. Brother, I've come in peace and in the name of Jesus, he said. My God wants to be your God too. The crowd quieted and the leader challenged Joseph with his eyes. My little girl has been paralysed for six years. She can't move and she can't speak. If your God can heal my daughter, then we will leave you alone. But if not, then we will kill you. The man turned and walked toward his home. The mob pushed Joseph to follow. Joseph and the mob leader entered the house together. Joseph looked at Kamala, the little girl, and realized that only a miracle would save her life and his. He knelt by her bed and asked God to heal Kamala if it was his will. Help this family to understand that you are the all-powerful God, he prayed. Joseph finished his prayer and stood up. He continued to pray silently for the child, and within minutes Kamala moved slightly. She stretched one leg, and then the other. Then she stretched her arms. Slowly, 
she sat up. The family watched, speechless with joy, as Kamala pulled herself up on her once withered legs and took a step. "'My daughter!' Kamala's mother whispered. The girl smiled and walked slowly toward her mother. Tearfully, the man who had planned to kill Joseph hugged him. "'I want to know about your God,' he said. News of the girl's miraculous healing spread rapidly through the village. Many wanted to know about Joseph's God. The man who had brandished a sword and planned to kill Joseph now works with him to teach others about the living God. Dozens have turned to Jesus and worship him instead of their former gods. Our mission offerings help support the work of men and women, such as Joseph, who serve as global mission pioneers around the world. Thank you for having a part in the work of God through your offerings. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.